Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. How are we doing? All right, I got a little fan section down here. This is awesome. I see that every week. Where were you guys last time I spoke, huh? Here, right, sitting right there. You guys are doing well, yeah? Good morning so far, huh? Beautiful weekend. You guys are obviously not campers because uh, you'd be gone right now. I made the mistake of asking first service, anybody camping this weekend? And it's like, no, what are you talking about? So here we are, all of us city people, urbanites. Uh, we like it here down in the, and down in the front range, yeah? And uh, I'm, I'm excited today. I'm just going to share some stuff that's been on my heart that the Lord's been working inside of me. And, and I'm just really expecting he's going to speak to us this morning, yeah? Um, so uh, something really quick, the last several weeks, um, we had been talking about our children's ministry and Kids Quest and looking for a whole new crop of people who would want to serve and actually uh, partner with us in investing in the lives of our young people. And we put out a goal uh, for 24 people, looking for 24 people to serve. I think, I think you'd be excited to know we surpassed our goal. We have 31 people that, had, uh, that have signed up to serve. So yeah, so way to go. Thank you if you're one of those 31 people. And, and uh, I know that um, this is really all part of, of who we are and investing every member of our family that we can all uh, just know and experience and move in the presence of God, yeah? So um, where I'm going to start this morning, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to John 15. And I'm going to start here. And um, the past <clears throat> several weeks, um, I've been in... A couple chapters in the middle of John, I just keep coming back to them, reading them over and over again in different translations and different versions, and they just, there's just always something new here. There's so much depth, so much nuance, so much complexity here in John 14 and 15. And um, what I really love about this, specifically for this context, is um, the passage we're about to read, read. This is kind of where Vine Life, this is where our namesake comes from. When we talk about Vine Life Church, we've named our community, we've named this people Essentially, after um, what Jesus is bringing to the table in this passage, and what he's trying to leave with his disciples, this is just before he gets taken away, just before he gets dragged away to go do what he came to do, which is to go to the cross, and, and his last moments with his people, his disciples, he's sharing his heart with them. And here's, here's what he says. In John 15, we're going to start with verse 1. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will even be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, Jason, several weeks ago, he talked on that specific line there. There's so much even there. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, because that shows yourself to be my disciples. And he continues, 
As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that your, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I called you friends, for everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me. This is a good line. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. And I love this passage. And um, but what I found is reading, especially John 14 and 15 back to back, I don't know if you noticed this, but it does at certain times seem a little bit redundant. Like Jesus, he's trying to impart something to his disciples, and he's essentially scrounging for new words to describe the same thing. And so he, it's almost like he keeps saying the same thing over and over again, like, um, remain in me, stay in me, dwell in me, make your home in me, stay connected to me, be a part of me. You know, the, all these same words in, 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 in John 14, he says, and my father and I will make our home in you. We'll make our dwelling with you. We'll remain in you. And, and he talks about him and his father and the love between them and then and the same love that applies to us and then the same love that goes out. And he, it's just kind of this web of all this different language. And he's using all this language to describe essentially what an intimate relationship with God really looks like. But what's interesting is how much he emphasizes where that intimacy leads. He doesn't just leave it at connect with me, stay with me, remain in me. What he says is remain in me, so what? So that you can bear much fruit. I'm sending you out that you can bear much fruit. At the end, we read that line. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last and and we get this sense of his heart that, man, for whatever it is that's happening here, whatever it happens in, in our relationship with him, his desire, as it has always been, his goal and purpose in that is that there's something about our intimacy that the world can get in on. That our lives bear the type of fruit that's not just enjoyable by us, but, but something that's expansive, something that goes out, something that takes us from this time and this moment. Are you guys tracking? And so, all this language about dwelling and making a home, and, and, and essentially, he's offering an invitation here that's been his invitation from the beginning. Um, what he's saying to his disciples is, listen, remain in me, and I want to remain in you. Will you be my dwelling place? He's saying to his people, will you be my dwelling place? And that's the question that I think he's, he's been after from the beginning. See, when we go back into how things were created to be, we go back to the garden, we look at, we look at Scripture as, as a story, it's a meta-narrative of, of God and, and his people and God and his heart and his redemption and his rescue of his people and making for himself a people. Everything started out in a garden where we were created to be in his presence, to know his presence, to be in full communion with God, yeah? But we know that did not last very long. Just a couple chapters later, um, 
we turned from him. And so that made it a little bit difficult. But God's heart from the beginning was to make a dwelling for himself. Now, how many of you guys um, have bought a home in the last year? How, about, how many have moved in the last year? Anybody? Okay. Somebody's raising your hand. Just give them a nice big hug because that probably, they probably really need it about right now. Um, buy, purchasing a house, finding a home, that's kind of an ordeal, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. That's a, it's a major ordeal. And there's a lot to consider when searching for a home. Yeah? Um, when you want to buy a home, okay, so there's a few questions you have to ask for. Okay, I mean, you're looking at general areas, but first of all, even before you get there, okay, let's talk about realtor. You know, we've got to find the right person to do this, but for you and I, we're also going to need some financing. And so we better find something with a good interest rate, something that's going to work for us. And so we've got to figure out how to pay for this thing, right? And, and then really, there's another question. Are we going to rent or are we going to buy, right? And so those are all things you have to consider. But, you know, when buying a home, then you start thinking about the layout of the home that you want, okay? Because... You know, how many bedrooms do I want? How many bathrooms? How many half baths? You know, how many quarter baths? Whatever that means. Um, do I need a backyard? I have pets. I need a backyard. I need a place for, for boo-boo to go running around in the backyard, right? Um, I need things. I need a park. What about the school systems? What about the neighborhood? Are there good restaurants in the area? There better be good restaurants in the area, right? I need community. Where are my friends going to be? Where are my fa- where's my family going to be? Where are the people I love? Uh, where are the places I want to hang out? Are those going to be around? And, you know, essentially, there's all these things that we're evaluating when looking for a home. But bottom line is, all of us, essentially, the question that we're really asking when searching for a home, searching to buy a house, is we want to find a home that's as close as possible to the people and the places where we want to spend our time. We want to find a home that's as close as possible to the people or the places where we see ourselves spending time, the place that we see, you know, that could be home. I, I like it there. That's where I want to be. And I don't think it's any different for God. When we start looking through the Old Testament here, ever since the beginning, since the garden, since we turned from him, his heart has been the same. I want to make a home for myself, and I want to find my dwelling place. God, from the beginning, was on the search for his dream home. And so we, we, walk, we, we turned from him. That made it a little bit difficult, yeah? Because all of a sudden, he, his heart doesn't change, but what it's going to take to be in relationship with him and for his presence to be with us, that changes a little bit. And so uh, we get to a time where, where, where Moses is on the mountain and, 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 and God essentially says, hey, listen, if this is going to work, if, I, if my presence can be with you, if I'm going to make a home here, if I'm going to dwell here, this is how it has to be. And he goes through this whole thing of just laws and regulations and it's got to be like this and only these people can do that and this type of material and only these times of the year and those types of things. And he had to be really specific. Why? Because he's a, he's a holy God. Yeah. And this is sometimes why people on the outside looking in have a beef with God because they see the Old Testament God. He just looks a little cranky sometimes, doesn't he? But, but come on. Uh, when the holy God of the universe steps foot onto earth, you can't just walk into his presence and, 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 and call him homeboy. That's not how this works, okay? So he had to set up something. The best he could do was what he offered us, but his heart was the same. I am determined to make for myself a home among these people. And so we see God establish his tabernacle among the people of God 
And he puts his presence in the ark. And the ark is in a tent. And it's in a tent, so whenever the people move, the ark can move. Or whenever God wants to move, the people can move with him. But it's this beautiful thing because we see very clearly that when the presence of God is with us, when the people of God were following the presence of God, when the presence of God accompanied the people of God, there was always what? Blessing and favor and protection and victory. There was something right about that. And I think that's how God liked it. He liked to dwell there. But he had a better plan. He had a much better plan, but that was still in the works. And so, but for now, he was with the people of God. And, and it wasn't just the people of God. The nations were taking notice in this. They would look at the favor on Israel and they would say, whoa, the, the God of the universe must be with them. The living and true God, the one God must be with them because this is who they are. This is the favor that they walk in. And so that's how, so, so God started to make a dwelling and a home for himself, but it wasn't quite there. And, and then a little, a little later on in the scripture, we see that David, King David, he's in his mansion one day. He's in his house of cedar, and it, he just has this revelation. He, he says to himself, wait a second, I am dwelling in a house of cedar, in this unbelievable mansion Yet God is down the road and he dwells in a tent. He said, this is, this is unfathomable. This, this cannot be this way. I cannot, I'm not okay to sit here in this mansion while God makes his dwelling in a tent. And so he says to himself, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build him. I'm going to build for God his dream home, right? I'm going to build something for him that he can call his own that is better than anything that this world has seen. And so David proposes his plan. He runs it by Nathan. Nathan says, hey, listen, if that's on your heart, go for it. So, so David comes up with this whole thing. But it's interesting to see God's response to David. And uh, it, it's probably a little underwhelming. Here's what he says in 1 Chronicles 17. You can turn there if you have your Bibles. He said, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. You are not the one to build me a house to dwell in. I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought Israel up out of Egypt to this day. I have moved from one tent site to another, from one dwelling place to another. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their leaders whom I commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? And so, so David, just to make things clear, he's just he's saying to David, hey, listen, just just uh, just just so we kind of on the same page here. You know, I didn't ask you to do that, right? You know, I'm I'm okay in the tent. I get to go where the people go. You know, you know that that's worked out from you know all the way until now, right? That's that has been my dwelling place. But David, there's something inside of him. It was his heart of worship. He said, no, 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 no. God, I know you didn't ask me to do this, but. Please, I want to do something that blesses your name. I want for you to have a home here and a place here. God was so moved by that, which is just wild. God was, God was so, he was so moved that David would have an idea of, I just want to do something that blesses the Lord. I don't even, I don't even want to get anything out of it. I'm not, I'm not even just doing something because you asked me to do it. I just want to do something for you, God. And so he says, I want to make you a house. And so, so God says, all right, we can do that. But before we do that, let me tell you about my dream house. Let me tell you about the house that I'm building. And so before you build me the house, I'm just going to 
just let you in on something. And so if we get down to verse 10, chapter 17, verse 10, we're coming about halfway through. God says this to David, I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you. When your days are over and you are gone to be with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. One of your own sons, I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. And I will take my love and I will, I will never take my love away from him as, it took, as I took it from your predecessors. I will set, over, I will set him over my house in my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. And so, so God comes to David and he says, okay, you can build me a house. And because you're doing this for me, here's the house I'm going to build through you, and through your seed and through your ancestors. I'm going to establish a house that's unlike any house that you've ever seen. I am dreaming of a house that looks different than anything that you've dreamed of, David, anything that this world has ever seen. Um, th- this house is going to make the cover of every real estate magazine and dwell and modern homes, all those things. This is a house like nobody's ever seen. And guess what? It's going to last forever. Why? Because it's not made as a building. It's not made as a construction. It is not even made with hands. My dwelling is going to be in the hearts of the men and the women I love. I'm going to make my dwelling in the place that I want to be, which is close to the people that I love. He said, this is what's coming. He said, you can build for me this house, but you need to know, I've got a dream house in mind. And so God, essentially, though he deserved a mansion adorned in the finest of materials and construction and craftsmanship, and that he did dwell there, that that's what he deserved and that that's what he could have commanded. We read that God lets the cat out of the bag a little bit and we read later on that his plan is not to make a dwelling in a mansion. His plan is to come as close as he possibly can to the people he loves, which means that he would make his dwelling in earthen vessels, in jars of clay, so that the world would know of his power and of his goodness to save it. That was his plan. To come close. And we know what we know about God is God always gets what he wants. Yeah? When he says he wants something, he's going to get it. Okay? I'm not sure if you've ever thought about that, but if he's ever told you he wants something, um, you know, from you, um, well, I wouldn't put up too much of a fight, honestly. I've tried that. It doesn't work. <laughs> he's going he's to get it. I want that in your heart. No. Okay. <clears throat> So the father, to pull off this dream house, to essentially pay for his dream house, he sends his son, Jesus, as an ultimate sacrifice. And we know that Jesus, he went to the cross, and as he was beaten and as he was bruised, it says, as his body was torn, so the curtain in the temple that separated the holy place from the unholy places, so that same curtain was torn. Meaning what? That Jesus became the head of a brand new house. Jesus ushered in a whole new dream house for God, where once the presence of God could only dwell in a holy place, now those who are in Christ are made to that degree of holiness that where before, if you touched the ark, you would die. Now, the very presence of God can rest in the heart of you and I who are in Christ. We have become his dream house. And that's why 
Paul says it like this. In Ephesians 2, this is the message paraphrase. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he's building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus at the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. You know that today, that when God looks at you, he's quite at home with you. Can you just thank the Lord for that today? That when he sees us, he is at home. And for some of you, I think we just need to stop there for a second because what you've believed about yourself has not been that picture. Your view of God is that there's something inside of you that I'm not sure God would want to take up residence here. I'm not sure he can work with this, whatever this is. You feel like, you feel like you're a foreclosure. That either somebody gave up on you or you gave up on yourself. So why would God want to take this over? Can he do anything with this? And God's looking at you and said, I can, I can still work with that. Let me move in. Watch what I'm going to do. Come on, let me move in. You are my home. You are the place I want to be. And that was his plan. The cool thing is it doesn't, it doesn't stop there. Because his dream home is unlike any other home. And it doesn't really operate on the same rules as every other home. We just talk about that for a second. See, God's dream home can be made from any heart. No matter the condition, he comes in and makes the whole thing new. Come on, that's the best ABC, you know, midweek, mid, you know, that's the best extreme makeover episode you've ever seen. I'm just telling you. This is what he does. God's dream home, I don't know if you knew this, God's dream home is a mobile home. Okay? It's not about you, but I'm breathing and I'm moving, Okay? That means that he's into mobile homes. That was really good news for some people in the room today, just in case you're wondering how God likes his stuff. Um, Maybe that was confirmation for others of you in the room. I mean, he's really into the mobile home thing. So that's you, man. You're just one step ahead of the rest of us. And so that makes our Sunday gatherings a parade of homes, right? (laughs) Sorry. God doesn't invite people to come to his home. He brings his home to them. God's dream home is not a building. But those who are in Christ, which is you and I, have become the address. Do you know that if God has taken up residence in you, and if the Spirit of Christ dwells in you, and the presence of God is in you, that means that you and I are the address of God here on earth as the people of God. That apparently needs to set in for just a second. In God's dream home, his measuring stick isn't how many gather here, but how many leave here as sent people. 
God's dream home is not about measuring the success of this by how many are in the room, but by how many of us see ourselves as carriers of the presence and leave those doors at 1230 saying, I carry the very presence of the Lord. Just as the ark carried the presence of God, I now host the very presence of the living God. So wherever I go, the presence of the Lord is coming to And that's something we've we got to remind ourselves here that, again, church is not a building. This is not a place. And anybody that's looking for God, anybody who's lost on their way to God, anybody who's searching to find God, God's not somewhere saying, hey, let me, let me email you the directions. Hey, let me give you, you better make sure you got your GPS out and your compass and your map because it's going to take you a little bit to find me. God's plan from the beginning was, was not to just give them directions to his home, but to bring his home to them. You got to understand this. God does not send the lost into the church. He sends the found into the world. Let me just say that again. His plan all along was to get his presence inside of you Why? Because his plan was not to send the lost into the church. It was to send the found into the world. Everywhere you go, you are carrying the very presence of God. Yeah. So that excites me because there's something inside of that that gives us something to look forward to at 1230 besides just eating lunch. And, you know, that's where, you know, we're about seven minutes out here, so we're going to land the plane pretty quick. Um, there's something inside of us. When we see ourselves as carriers of the presence of God, not only, should that, <laughs> not only should that put a smile on our face because I am valued by God for him to take residence in here, but now tomorrow morning when I wake up, I know I am part of his plan because I am his address here on earth and everywhere I go, he's coming with. So essentially you become the front door to the house of God for every person you work with, every person you live with, every person you live around in your neighborhood. You are the front door to the house of God. So what's really cool is right, right now down at the Boulder Creek Festival, there is a team of people that set up shop And there's people down at the Boulder Creek Festival for a lot of reasons right now. There's some going down for music, some going down for food, entertainment, just looking for something to do. But there is one strip there called the, the, the religion and, and spirituality place. And, and what we know of that place is there's people walking up and down that strip right now who aren't sure of a lot of things. And they're looking for something. And what they didn't expect to find while strolling down that strip was the house of God planted right there. What they, didn't, what they didn't expect to find while strolling down the Boulder Creek Festival was the address of the presence of God. Oh my gosh, this is the address of the presence of God. Now, they, they're probably not thinking that, but what they don't know is that is the address of the presence of God. Why? Because the people of God, which are the house of God, have taken up home there and set up shop there. And wherever we go, he goes. And so people have come through. And about yes, yesterday, about 100 people came through that tent, not really knowing what they were looking for, but being touched and ministered to and being prayed for and being encouraged and spoken over. And the truth of whatever exists in the atmosphere of the home of God was now spoken over them. They were invited into everything available in the house of God. 
And just be reminded, these people probably weren't going to come strolling up on this lonely hill in between Boulder and Longmont looking for God. God never said, hey, if you want to meet with me, um, here's, when I, here's where you can experience my presence. 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., we do two great weekend services at this church sitting right up on top of the hill. You know, you can hitch a ride with somebody. That's not the way God works. God's plan from the beginning was to get out of a building and to go send his presence with his people into the world, that wherever the people are, so is the house of God and the glory of God. You got that? That's you and I today. Yeah, you guys can come up. I started preaching, so I'm just kind of really behind right now. But that's okay. We'll be out of here by 2 o'clock or so. And so I, I guess the whole thing with this that I think is important is this. If we are the sent people of God, do you see yourself like that? Is that something, when you wake up Monday through Saturday, you know, it's easy on Sunday because you're coming here, but Monday through Saturday, is that, does that thought pop into your mind that I am the plan of God in this world? As, as part of the church, I am the plan of God. I'm a part of the house of God. I'm part of the family of God. And I am the address of the presence of God for everybody I come in contact with. This is who I am today. I have something to live for today. I get to go bear fruit. I get to speak of and display the goodness and glory of God in every interaction, every conversation, and every place my foot lands today. God is with me. Is that thought crossing your mind tomorrow morning? When you leave this place, there should be something about this that, you know, as excited as we were to come to the house of God today, are, are you excited, just as excited to leave as the house of God today? That needs to happen for us. We need to be just as excited about going as we are about coming. That is God's heart for you. That's God's heart for me. That's how he designed it. This is not the pinnacle of everything he has for us. And I'm really excited because we're moving into a season where he's letting faith rise. As as men and women, as sons and daughters, as we believe that we are carriers of the very presence of God, this is who I am. God has set up shop. As I remain in him, he remains in me, and he bears fruit. That was his plan. Do we believe that about ourselves? Are we waking up with that? See, that's really easy to do when you're going on a missions trip, right? So in a couple of weeks, we're going to be going to Brazil. And there's going to be no point on that trip. We're going to wake up in the morning saying, wait a second, why are we here? You know, we're, we're eating rice and beans and sleeping on air mattresses and, you know, no AC, just humid and sweating the whole time, paying an absurd amount of money just to get down there. There's, a, there's not going to be much of, you know, we're going to know why we're down there. Even now we're praying into all these um, possible scenarios down there. We're praying into what God wants to use, how he wants to use us, how he wants to use us to display his heart and to carry his presence. And yeah, we're, we're going to learn and to serve and, and be humble as well, but we know we're going to to take whatever treasure he's deposited in us and to lay it out and say, it's yours too. And we know that. And there's not going to be any chance on the trip where we're just going to forget why we're there. So why is it that in this life here that that gets a little difficult? And I think here's what Peter says, 1 Peter 2. He says this, and this is the message paraphrase as well. 
that you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accept. And then he goes on to say, so that's everything we just talked about. That's our calling. That's what he's given us to do. That is our agency in this world. Then he says this, friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourself cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute the prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and, there will, and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. I love that. Hey, everybody, just as a reminder, this world is not your home, so don't get too comfy, okay? This whole thing has another side of the coin, and just as God desires to make our home in him, or to make his home in us, he's inviting us to make our home in him. Our home is in Christ. Our home is in heaven. And in the same way, when we wake up in the morning, it's not just to, just to go back to the usual, just to blend in. It's to remind ourselves, I am here as a representative of the very kingdom of heaven. I've been chosen to be here, and I'm going out to do everything I can to talk about who he is and to talk about the night and day difference he has made in my life to talk about what he's done in my home and then invite everyone I know to come home as well. So that's about it for today. So let's pray together this morning. Oh God. God, first of all, I just thank you. God, I I just pray that all of us, the ones of us in this room who say, I am in Christ this morning, I just ask that you help us leave this place with a sense of gratitude and a sense of expectation, God, of who you've called us to be in this world. Thank you, God, for choosing us to make your home. God, and I pray for every person in this room here today, God, that, that hasn't been true, that they've maybe haven't been sure about making their home in you and you making your home in us, God. I I just pray for every person on the fringe right now who's just kind of wondering what that's about. God, I thank you that your desire is to bring in all of the love and all the peace and all the joy of heaven and let that dwell inside of us, God. And I just pray that you meet every person in this room right now exactly where they're at, God. And I thank you for your promise to build your house, God, and you're using us to build your house. I thank you your house is not a building or a location, God. I thank you that your house dwells in the hearts of men and women who are in Christ, and you are building us up for the world to see how unbelievable your dream home can look, God. I thank you that you've sent yourself to us. You didn't ask us to come to you. You came to us. In a like manner, we go from this place God has sent people today. Let that sink in, God. Please, let that sink in. And it's in your name we pray together.